And if you were here last week, we... I don't really know how to explain it. Deviated into a sub-mini-series in the main series that we're doing where we're talking about not conforming to this world. And this passage comes out of Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, where it says, verse 2 says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's what we are going to be focusing on and talking about today. And last week, we talked about a few different things that, that we see, different patterns that we see in the world that are not godly patterns. And... I want to see how many people remember, because there were four of them that we talked about last week. So, does anybody remember which ones those were that we talked about? Oh, you guys. <laughs> we talked about blaspheming as one of them. Um, we talked about unforgiveness. We talked about being unholy. And then we also talked about how People will be lovers of themselves, which is an act of selfishness. So those were the four things that we talked about last week. But today we're going to do three of them. We're going to focus on three. And these things that we are talking about are actually from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 9, where Paul speaks to Timothy and tells him that in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And then he says, but and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith. But they will progress no further, for their folly will manifest to all as theirs also was. And so that's what brings us back to that Romans 12, 1 and 2, that reminder that we are to be renewed. And it says the only way that we can be renewed is by the renewal of our minds. And so today, we're going to talk about a few things. The first thing I want to look at is, is where it says that people will be despisers of good. Or in the New King James Version, it says those that are good. And, you know, uh, I don't remember the exact passage, but where Jesus says no one is truly good except for God. And so that means in order for us to be good or show his goodness, we have to show the characters of God. In fact, there's a song that we sing that talks about the goodness of God. So how do you show the goodness of God to people? Well, if we go back to uh, 
what we talked about last week, what it means to be holy, being set apart. That means that we have to live in a way that is righteous. That means we have to make the right choices, do the right things, even when everybody else don't agree. And so in order to show people the goodness of God, we have to be willing to be different than everybody else. We have to be willing to be looked at by people as if we're crazy for not going along without, with what everybody else is doing. And so in order to understand what good is, we have to look at Jesus' life, look at the things that he did, the things that he accomplished, the uh, miracles that he did, the willingness to serve people, to uh, do things for people, not because he was expecting something in return, because there was really nothing that any of these people could give him that would amount to what God had already given him. But yet he would, he would heal the blind. He would heal those with leprosy. He would heal uh, those that could not walk. He fed the 5,000. Those are all different things that Jesus did that in our eyes, those are good things. But not everybody sees those acts and would see those acts of compassion as good things. In fact, even when he did healings, especially because he would do them on the Sabbath, the religious leaders would go after him because of that, because that was supposed to be a day of rest, and here he is healing people on a day of rest. But really, it's not like he was like moving the people or lifting things. Literally, all he was doing is maybe reaching out his hand and praying that God was, would do his work and heal somebody. So where was the work? But they were looking for something to catch him in that, would, that they would be able to hold against him. See, when we think about the Sabbath, which is a day of rest, we, we think, you know, we don't have the same understanding of the Sabbath as they did in, uh, at that time. The Sabbath for them meant that they couldn't do anything. They couldn't do any work. They couldn't go to work. That means, like, they spent their day at home with family. In fact, if they were, even cooking had to be done the day before. So if you had housework that you needed to do, you would do it the day before, so that way you could have the whole day so you could just rest and be renewed, be refreshed, because that's what a Sabbath is. And when you have a day where you can be renewed and refreshed, what you find is God meets you there, and those are the perfect time for a restoration, for healing not always the physical healing, but sometimes after a long week of dealing with people, you need a little bit of time for God to just give you just a fresh look on everything. And so the day of Sabbath, he told us that it's supposed to be holy, which means it's supposed to be set apart. We're supposed to honor it, but we don't do a very good job at honoring it. It says that people are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, the first word that comes to mind for me when I thought of that was idolatry. The idea that people would put everything else in front of God. That to the point that it becomes worship, to the point that those things become a priority instead of God. 
So I want to ask you guys a question and if you see if you know your Ten Commandments. What are the, the Ten Commandments? Can anybody tell me one of the Ten Commandments? Yep, covet. There's some other ones. Yeah, that's part of the, the covert. Yeah, there's some. That's four. Yep, there's only there's only one God, and there's should be no other God before Him. Um, what's what's another one? That's the not quite, but it fits all of those. But there's there's some specific one. Remembering the Sabbath is one of them, and then honoring your mother and your father. And you will not take the Lord's name in vain is another one. Yep. You shall not bear false witness, which is you will not lie. And so these commandments can be found in Exodus chapter 20, where he doesn't just, this is just the shorter version, because he goes into more details about what those look like. And so... For us, when you talk about being lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, the first commandment says, you shall have no other gods. But we allow things that we do in this life to take priority over God. Because that's what idolatry is, is that you've placed something else before God. It might have started as just it could even be something that he blessed you with that you get, you're able to do. Where, but then at some point, you place more value on that thing than you do on the God who blessed you with it. And so in Exodus 20, verse 3, it says, again, you shall have no other God before me. But then it continues, and, and it says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. I'm just going to stop right there. Now, how many people, well, you're, you're a teacher, when you, ex when you give kids instructions, they look for ways to kind of go around your instructions, and so then you have to go even more specific to tell them, here's what I mean by that, so that you cover every single thing that they might think of is, might be okay. And I, when I read the, the book of Exodus, and when I read this passage, that's what it feels like God is doing. He's like, okay. I told you you cannot make images, you can't carve images as, because those are idols. But just to be safe, I'm going to give you a little bit more instructions so you know exactly what I mean. And so he says, you, you will not make for yourself a carved image and any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath. In case there confuses, or that is in the water under the earth. So he's trying to cover every possible thing that we could think of to make images out that would become worship. And then he says, you will not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, I've started subbing again, and this week I subbed to, at like three different schools, and one, the first one I did was in elementary school, and you know, the teachers, uh, 
<laughs> they leave notes about which kids will test you and test the rules, which is appreciated. And so as I'm sitting there and I give them what they're supposed to do, these are things that they do on the daily. And one of them, actually, he was one of the ones whose names was left on the paper that would test things, begin to ask the questions, what do you mean by that? I'm like, boy, you know exactly what I mean by that. You do this every single day. Don't try to test me or try my patience. But he was like, oh, oh so you mean this paper. Then what did we do with this? I'm like, ask your, the person in front of you if you don't understand, because you know exactly what this is supposed to be. But he kept trying to find ways to really like, test the boundaries and test what he can get away with when it comes to doing his work. And I'm like, man, that must be what God sees in us sometimes when he tells us something and gives us instruction to do something and we go, well, do we really have to do it exactly the way that you told us to? Like, do we have to follow this exact path or can I go straight through the middle or what if I went around that way? That might be harder, but, or it might be easier, at least in my eyes, but is it okay if I go that way? We look for ways to, to test things and it's not something, you know, that you, unfortunately, we hope they grow out of that and hopefully put those kind of things to good use. But for some of them, that's a, they're so used to it, it's hard to grow out of it. And then, I, you know, and then I also did a middle school where you have a class that has been out of it, that hasn't had a teacher for a while. And the reason they haven't had a teacher is because they're, the last two periods of the day were so rough and hard and really disrespectful at times to her that she ended up quitting. And so those are just some of the, that's why there's a lot of schools that are short on teachers. And so, but interestingly enough for me, that was the easiest class to deal with. Because even though they, literally multiple people told me, you know, like this, that would be the roughest class, but when I got in there, and I told the first thing I said, listen, it's the end of the day. You're ready to go home. I'm ready to go home. Let's make this a smooth afternoon so that we can finish our stuff be, and be able to go home and not have any issues. And they're like, okay. And they did their stuff. They weren't disrespectful. Like, and so that, for me, was the easiest class. But that's because you set an expectation. You told them what you expected out of them. And, you, and they... Ex they acknowledged that and they accepted that because I saw them, I understood what they, they've been at school all day. I don't know about you, but being at school all day is exhausting. When you get to that last period of the day, you don't want to do anything else. You just want to go home. And so acknowledging that I understand that you've had a long day, but there's still things that we have to accomplish sets a tone. And so when God tells, uh, tells the Israelites, in turn really showing us the, these examples of what not to do, what not to make idols of, nowadays, you know, we may not make idols out of images, but there are other things that become idols in our lives, and sometimes it can be our jobs. And sometimes it could even be our family. That's not to say you don't love your family and you care for them, but... There are times where we put our families above God. 
See, God wanted to make sure that we understood what he expected of us. See, the dictionary described idolatry as the worship of someone or something other than God. Now, he tells them to not bow down to or nor worship them. Now, you may not bow down to your job or to the different, the different things that you have in your life that have taken priority over God, but there are things that have taken his place. So as I was writing this, I, had to, I thought of a question for you guys, and, you know, it's, it's really up to you how you view it, how you answer it. You're not right or wrong. I just want your opinion. Can going to church turn into an idol. Think about what being an idol means, and then think about how that can become an idol. How often do people go to church because that's just what we do? We go to church, we, we sing, we listen to a message, we leave, go have lunch, and then we go through our week, and then you don't see them again until the next week. And, and so, are they truly putting God first when they step foot into the building? Because it's not necessarily about the building itself, because this is supposed to be a temple where we come and we meet together and we be in God's presence. So, the worship, the songs that we sing are all to lead us closer to being in God's presence. I can't count the number of times where I, w- that I would be leading worship and I would, some- I would avoid looking at people because sometimes it was almost discouraging because I would look out and I would see people just like... And as a person that's leading people and trying to get them closer to God, you, or in that moment, you can't help but question, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I doing it right? But there are people, that's exactly what it is. Church is routine. But God wants more out of us than just routine. He wants us to value the same things that he values. He wants us to see the value in him first, which means that we go to church because we have an expectation of meeting God there. We go to church because we know not only will he meet us there, but when we come before him and we begin to pray together, we sing together, he hears us. And we've, we've seen and we've heard how God has answered prayers for people here in this space. And so why is that? Because we as a body come together in unity, lifting up the needs of each other before God and crying out to him on each other's behalf. And I am thankful, and it's always exciting when I hear how God has answered a prayer, knowing that how we've just come together on behalf of somebody else and begin to just lift them up in prayer over and over and over again. And some of those we heard, one of them we heard earlier today about Carly's stepdad. She brought it up last Sunday asking for prayer because he was, the decision about what was going to happen was literally going to happen on Monday of this week. And we rallied and we prayed. And he tells us where two or more are gathered, there he is in our midst. Another one that we've prayed for here in this space is a newborn child that had, been, that had, had some issues after she was born. I think she was only a couple weeks old. And the last time I talked to... Uh, Nancy, she told me literally the next day she had called 
to find out how the, do, how the kid is doing and they're, they're off the feeding tube and he's being able to fed with a bottle. So we, God is doing something. God is moving when his people are willing to cry out and be standing in the gap for others. He's looking for us to respond and not just participate or just show and, and be there. Not just be, we don't have pews, but you used to call it pew sitters, you know, where we put our faith to action. If we say we believe that God is a God of healing, then we go hard to ask him to heal people to go and we ask him to heal the people that we love we ask him to transform the lives of people that we care for because we know he can do it that's what it means to put our faith into action it's more than just words because then we start to live it out we go to church we worship you know i've said i i usually look at my weeks as Sunday being the end because everything I do leads to that. But as I was, I was reading a book that kind of helped to put it in a different perspective where rather than looking at it as everything you do leading up to Sunday, which is kind of true for me, but that this is, the, with this being that people see this as the start of the week, but for us, we're choosing to start our week by being in the presence of God. And when I read that, it shifted my perspective and and helped me to look at it differently to where this is a moment where I can come to God. Yes, I look at what he's done throughout the week, but now I'm looking ahead to what he can do in the next week. What he can do as he leads me throughout this week. So what are some things that that have become idols in our lives or even in the church. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about the patterns. There are things that have become idols but that are not godly. Because we're trying to be more like him, more like God, more like Jesus in the way we live. And so we have to look at our lives. We have to look at the things in this world and be able to say that is not of God. And this is what God expects of us. Sometimes, you know, I could probably name lots of things in the world, but I want to focus it in on the church. How often do we place values on traditions more than we do in the actual church? That's not to say that traditions are bad things, because it's good to have traditions. But when we're so entangled in tradition that we don't notice when God is trying to shift and God is trying to move, then we've lost sight of God. See, I believe God is moving even not just in this place, but in, the, in His church. But if we are not open to what He's wanting to do, then we are just going to miss out on His movements. See, some things that people hold on to sometimes can be the way seats are arranged, preferred music styles, or uh, our own personal comforts sometimes takes priority over God showing up in our service. And I say that because I have seen it. 
I can remember one time where a friend of mine had, done, had preached about prayer. And then at the end, of the, in the, at some point in the service, he basically had people kind of rally in different parts with different people to pray. And these were people that had been going to church longer than I've been alive. A lot of them were. And some complained that we would do something like that, that we would change the routine of how they were used to church doing. That's the problem. We think that we have a monopoly on church when church belongs to God. It's not supposed to be about us. It's supposed to be about God. It's supposed to be about him calling people to him so people are going to come in this place with a desire for more, looking for something that sometimes they don't even know what they're looking for. And we have to be ready for God to move when people come expecting him to move. The next thing that it talks about in this passage of 2 Timothy is slandering or false accusers. Now that's also a part of the Ten Commandments, that you shall not falsely accuse, uh, be a false witness against your neighbors. It says, don't accuse people of wrongdoing or place false testimony against your neighbor." Sometimes people use their powers and influence to, to get what they want and trample other people or ignore what others that don't meet their expectations have to say. We have to remember that we serve a God that is just, so he sees the wrongs that are done and he fights on our behalf. In Leviticus 19.15, it says, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. To put it simply, you treat everybody fairly. Whether they you know, have, whether they're rich or poor, you treat them the same. See, that's not what we see in our society. We see it the other way. People with status and that those are elevated. And those that don't have status are sometimes looked down upon. But God says, that's not the way I look at people. That's not how I'm going to judge people. Whether they have a whole lot of money or have very little, doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is whether they are righteous. Whether they are treating their neighbors in, in a fair way. In Luke 10, verse 25 to 29, and that chapter actually has the story of the Samaritan. But leading to that story, it says that a lawyer stood up to test Jesus, saying, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, being Jesus, told him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And so the Lord answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. 
And so Jesus responds, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. Now, you would think he would accept that answer because Jesus basically switched the question back on him to see what he knew because he was trying to test Jesus. And Jesus said, well, how do you read it? And then Jesus reaffirmed that's exactly what it says. Now again, we, just like we talked about how kids like to push the question to kind of get a different response, he goes, well, who's my neighbor? Like, you know, I know you said to love my neighbor as myself, but who, what do you mean by neighbor? Are you talking about the person that's right next door to me? The person I work with? The person that I see at the supermarket? And so rather than just giving a, a straight-up answer, Jesus gives him the story of the Samaritan. Now, knowing the history between the Jews and the, and the Samaritan, which means at the time that they did not get along, the fact that a Samaritan would do what's right to help somebody in need where the leaders that walked past them were probably of Jewish origin cause they, and they just walked the other side, that probably was like a smack in the face saying that essentially the people that you don't like sometimes are more willing to help people than you are. Think about that for a second. The people that you don't get along with sometimes are more, than, more willing to help others than you are. That's harsh and, help and really hurtful because we consider ourselves to be Christians. We consider ourselves to be, you know, we want to do what God tells us to. We want to do what he leads us to. But nobody wants to hear that. So our neighbors are not just the people that live right next door. Our neighbors is basically anybody that we encounter because we all need Jesus. And how are we going to reflect the characters of God to people if we are not purposeful in doing so? See, it's easy to justify ourselves and say, well, this person, they hurt me. Why do I have to treat them the same way as I treat this person? But if you go back to the verse in Leviticus where, Jesus said, where God says, it doesn't matter if they're poor or if they're rich, or even further, it doesn't matter if they've hurt you or if they've been good to you, you to treat them the same. And that's why it's important when you go back to look at the, what unforgiveness and forgiveness is. Forgiveness means you have to be willing to forgive and over and over and over again. So how are you going to be fair to your neighbor if you're unwilling to show forgiveness? As I shared last week, if we are not willing to forgive people, then how can we expect God to forgive us? And we looked at it another way is this, that what if Jesus had looked at us and said this exact same thing that we say to people as if they're unworthy of forgiveness? None of us were ever worthy of his forgiveness, but yet he freely gave it to us. 
in order to teach us what it means to live a godly life. To show us what God expects of us. The, the patterns of this world is not what God had for us. In fact, when He created this world, He wanted it to be perfect. But then sin corrupted this world. In fact, it's, we are all born with it. We're born in it. Think about the little kids that they learn that well, some of their first words are mine, even if it's not theirs. This idea, this, this idea and this desire to take sometimes of things that are not theirs, it's, it's a selfishness. It's not taught. It is born with. Because that's what sin does. It corrupts the character and the image that God has set within us. And so in order for us to become more like Christ, then we have to daily make choices that leads us closer to Him and not away from Him. The challenge is learning to be more like Him while dealing with everyone else. Because if I didn't have to deal with people, I think I'd be able to do, to do this. You know, I've seen a lot of different things throughout this week, and one of those was a fight between two fifth graders, which in itself just blows you away. But the first reactions that you see sometimes out of children is not always, how do I handle this problem better? It's always, uh, I'm going to fight my way to get what I want, or I'm going to do this to get, I'm going to hurt the other person because that'll be the better option. But in the midst of all that, I also saw a student where, who was really dealing with a lot in life. It just moved down here a couple months ago, and so they're, they're new to the area, and, and she shared with me that sometimes she just has bouts where she's just feeling sad. And usually it's during the day at school, and so she'll just go off and sit somewhere. And so I saw her sitting there, and she had a paper, and she was writing something down, and, and it was not positive. And these were things that she was writing about herself. And I, ha and I got a chance to sit down and talk to her and kind of tell her, hey, when you, the more you write those things about yourself, the more you start to believe them to be true. Because then it the more you write them, the same things over and over and over, especially negative things, at certain points you start to accept that this is who I am, this is who I'm always going to be. And so I try to encourage her to shift that and write more positive things about herself. And then she kind of shared a little bit of why she's hurting and things like that. And I'm not going to share uh, that because that's her own story and it's not my place to share. But that's the reality for a lot of kids today. They are hurting, but they don't always have a way to share that. And you know, even, and unfortunately, there's only so much that a teacher can do because you have so many students to look after. It's hard to focus in on just the one and show them the love that you know they need in that moment without ignoring what's going on in your classroom. And it's difficult. 
And I know it was hard for me, and I was only subbing. I don't know if I'll ever, you know, see this kid again, but I, I've been praying for her, continuing to lift her because I want God to show her that she matters, that, he, that her value is not placed in other people and other things, but in the way that God created her and sees her. So we don't, that's why Paul reminds us to not be ignorant. There's a lot going on in this world. There's a lot going on in, in, in the lives of all these students, all these kids. They just need more love. Or even more reminders of how much they're loved. How much they're cared for. That God created them for more than what they see themselves as now. And you know, stuff like that is not always easy for me personally to, to, to just look past. Because I have a daughter, two of them, in fact, and I don't want them to ever get to a point where they feel those th same feelings. This kid was only 11 years old. And her views of herself were not positive. And that's the truth for a lot of students and a lot of kids. That's why there's such a struggle for identity today, because they're looking to be recognized, they're looking to belong to something, to somewhere. But they don't know that they could belong to the Father. And so we may not all get an opportunity to be the light to a student, but you get an opportunity to be the light to somebody. You may not know their whole story, but you can show Christ to them, even if it's just for a minute or two, to show them that they're valued in the kingdom of God. See, that's what we are called to do. The church is supposed to be the leading example of what Christ looks like in the world, not the ones that follow everything else and do what everybody else is doing. See, people are hungry and looking for something. It's just they turn to the wrong things. And we have to show them that God is the one that they're looking for. We have to show them that what they're looking for can be found in the Savior in the one who can transform their lives. It doesn't mean that everything becomes easy and simple afterward, but it certainly makes walking through life a whole lot easier because we know we have Him on our side. So my challenge for you this week is that simple question that Jesus asked the lawyer. Who is your neighbor? And are you showing the love of Jesus to them throughout the week? That's what we are called to be. That we not conformed, but be transformed by Him. And as we close today, I want that to be on our mind. I want that to be a reminder to all of us that 
we would be willing to show the love of Jesus to everyone. That we would be purposeful and that we continue to go after him with our whole heart each and every single day. I want to take the time to pray, but I also would like to pray for Nancy as well because she's leaving this Wednesday uh, to do some uh, for some procedures because she's not doing well. And so I want to surround her in prayer. And so we're going to pray, and then I'm going to head over there, and I want to surround her uh, in prayer.